Welcome to episode 2 of the More XR podcast. It's the latest in augmented reality to virtual reality and everything in between. And it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Anshel Sog, More Insights and Strategy Senior Analyst covering XR, 5G, smartphones, PCs, cloud gaming, and much more. So let's get started for this week's topics. This week I'm going to be start covering the topics with Pico's Neo 3 Pro and Neo 3 Pro I launch, which are products designed to launch outside of China, specifically to enable enterprise applications. Uh, it's really interesting because Pico has been launching a lot of products lately. Uh, what's different about the Neo 3 Pro and Neo 3 Pro I are that they are one, based on Qualcomm's Snapdragon XR2 platform, so they're very high performance, and that the Neo 3 Pro and the Neo 3 Pro i differ in that one has eye tracking and the other does not. They both feature a single 5.5-inch display with a resolution of 3664 by 1920 and a 90Hz refresh rate. Now, the field of view on both headsets is actually lower than the last generation, down to 98 from 101. And what's interesting is that they've managed to fix the IPD so that um, it actually has adjustable IPD so that you can actually have a better resolution when you're actually using the headset, which I think is a big improvement. Um, in addition to that, uh, both the Pro and the Pro I have Wi-Fi 6 capabilities, which I think is necessary for anything that wants to be considered an enterprise at this point. Uh, Wi-Fi 6 is a much more secure wireless communication protocol. And overall, I think uh, Pico understands what they need to do with these products in order to ship them in the enterprise realm. That said, Pico doesn't necessarily have as much... Um, enterprise prowess as some other companies do but they have been shipping and they do have partnerships with lenovo so uh, i think with every subsequent version of the the neo series of products uh, they're getting better and better at uh, addressing the enterprise market uh, additionally both headsets um, will offer uh, nvidia's direct mode support which means that they can connect directly to a pc um, via DisplayPort. Um, so that's going to be interesting because it can allow for more high performance use cases uh, when necessary. Uh, but uh, other than that, these headsets are more affordable. Uh, the Pico Neo 3 Pro will sell at $699, while the Pro I will sell at $899. Um, and I have a feeling that this is very targeted towards the community that wants to use something like an Oculus Quest, but doesn't necessarily want to work with Facebook. Um, and they're, they're, they they have a lot of opportunity, I think, because uh, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily want to deal with Facebook and don't trust them. So good thing for Pico. Glad to see that they're coming out with another headset, uh, and it's another XR2 chipset. Uh, that also leads us into topic number two, which is the HTC Vive Focus 3 and HTC Vive Pro 2 not launch. Now, this launch was uh, a pretty big one, uh, primarily because uh, a lot of people have been anticipating a, a new hardware launch from HTC. Uh, the, 
the interesting thing is that both the Vive Pro 2 and the Vive Focus 3 have a 2448 by 2448 per eye resolution. The different and both have a 120 degree uh, field of view, which is impressive. Um, in addition to that, uh, the Pro 2, which is going to be the one that you will connect to a PC, uh, that one has a 120 hertz refresh rate, while the Vive Focus 3 has a 90 hertz refresh rate. And uh, if you think about how much um, bandwidth that is, 90 hertz is already quite impressive considering that the Vive Focus 3 is also an XR2 based headset. So um, what's cool about the Pro 2 is that it is a kind of a drop-in upgrade. Um, so you can drop and upgrade it to your existing uh, Vive platform, um, but you can also buy the kit and uh, have the wands and the lighthouses, or you can buy each piece individually and buy, uh, you know, the headset and even get a Steam Steam VR related uh, controller like the Index controllers, and then pair that with um, some some Vive 2.0 uh, lighthouses, which is actually my current setup, and that how I will probably use the Vive Pro 2. Uh, what's interesting with the Vive Focus 3, in addition to that, is they've upgraded and changed the controllers. They look a lot like uh, what we've seen from Facebook. They look very touch-like in terms of the design. Um, they're a little bit larger um, in terms of the wand, but overall, uh, they do look quite uh, improved over the previous generation Focus. Uh, what is good is that we're seeing HTC focusing on uh, appeasing existing customers and giving them major upgrades and the Focus 3 is a big upgrade simply because of the resolution alone but also you know it, it's it's a beefy device because they didn't have the XR2 before so they're going to be enabling a lot more use cases they didn't have before it will cost $1300 which is probably the most expensive standalone headset um, that we've seen so far uh, from HTC, but the reality is there's tons of XR headsets out there already on the enterprise that are quite expensive. Uh, I think this is probably the most high performance standalone uh, headset that I've seen in terms of display uh, and chipset. Um, but overall, the $1,300 also gets you two years of service, uh, as well as like six months free of uh, HTC's first-party apps, um, so there's there's definitely you know a, a big deal there. What I think a lot of people might be missing from this announcement, specifically for the Vive Focus Three, um, is the announcement of the Vive Business App Store, which I think is actually a very big deal because there's going to be a lot of small to medium-sized businesses that don't want to have custom-built. Uh, enterprise or business applications for uh, VR, but they do want to have access to them, and it's not very easy to find them. And you have to find contact a salesperson and get integration. Here, these are pre-integrated, and uh, you know, onboarding is much easier. And in theory, so should ma the management of the application. So, um, as part of this business suite, they are including this app store as well as a management console if you aren't already using one. And if you are, uh, HTC also is allowing you to plug in your existing Android MDM software so that you can manage these headsets as if they were just another Android phone, which I think is a big deal because 
this is how you get enterprise scale. You have to have enterprise features. So overall, I'm, I'm very impressed with what HTC has done in terms of improving specs and making both the Focus 3 and Pro 2 worthy upgrades uh, of an HTC launch. Uh, next topic is NVIDIA is bringing DLSS to VR. Uh, for those unfamiliar what DLSS is, uh, DLSS is NVIDIA's own in-house um, AI accelerated upscaler. Uh, and what that does is it essentially allows uh, NVIDIA to render your games at a lower resolution and then use AI to upscale that to a higher resolution, which then gives you much higher frame rates and also can act as its uh, anti-aliasing. And what that does is it essentially saves a lot of frames and gives you some additional performance to um, do stuff like ray tracing or just run the game at a higher frame rate. So I personally have used DLSS uh, in gaming on PC. I haven't used it in VR yet. Uh, currently, there's only going to be one title that supports it. Um, but that right now will be um, No Man's Sky. That's the first title. Uh, and NVIDIA actually posted a video on YouTube showing how without DLSS, No Man's Sky runs about 40 FPS. And then with it on, it runs about 67, which is still not great for VR, um, but it makes it much more playable. Um, and in general, I think DLSS is a good thing because from my experience, it helps improve the bottom end of the uh, frame rate so you don't get those dips, which are ultimately what cause most problems in VR in terms of experience. Uh, so we, I'm definitely welcoming to see that and hoping to see more titles adopting it down the road. Uh, the next topic we've got is Google I.O. So Google had their uh, yearly developer conference, Google I.O., uh, and it was pretty light on XR content, um, but there were some announcements. Uh, they did talk about uh, Google Maps adding AR Live View, which allows you to essentially expand what Google Maps was already doing in AR beyond just navigation, but also being able to point it to points of interest uh, and also to be able to use it indoors, which is great because that's kind of one of the original use cases of AR, actually. Uh, I got to use it, that functionality uh, in the Yelp app, God knows how many years ago now. Um, but in addition to that, they're adding AR uh, into search so that when you um, search for certain topics or certain people, you can pull those things and those people in from search into the real world, which you could already do for some things, um, but they added some people into that um, and they've made it a little bit more uh, depth in terms of what you can search uh, with AR. Um, they haven't actually implemented an AR search yet, but they are implementing AR inside of search which is different. Uh, last, but definitely not least, was the announcement of Project Starline, which is their AR uh, teleconferencing application that uses depth cameras and uh, light field displays to allow you to speak to somebody uh, from theoretically anywhere in the world, but it sounds like right now they're doing it mostly within the office. Uh, it's a very large booth 
with a pretty big display and a bunch of cameras, but it does look very promising. And I'm hoping to see more of that technology in future Google IOs, as well as maybe even product announcements from Google. But I'm not holding my breath because um, unfortunately, Google's stance on AR and XR in general has been pretty uh, epid. Um, let's move on to the next topic. That one is DigiLens's Design B1 Developer AR Smart Glasses. So um, this is DigiLens, who is an optics company. And what they've done is they've built an XR, another Snapdragon XR2 based product uh, with a kind of a very modular design, which utilizes their 50 degree field of view um, optics. And what the Design V1 does is it uh, improves brightness, weight, um, and, it, and it kind of just overall makes their optics technology more accessible to developers that want to build AR apps or who want to build uh, a, a custom device to their needs. So DigiLens is allowing you to, uh, you know, change the, the micro LED displays or the projectors or whatever is currently um, operating in that headset, which I believe are uh, uh, 720p uh, per eye DLP projectors. But, you know, as technology improves, you can change that, that out. Um, and the, the idea is that you build your capabilities and your hardware around their optics, which is the core of their business. Um, but this headset does have, um, you know, six gigs of RAM, 120 gigs of storage, type C, um, you know, it has audio, it has a center camera for pass through, uh, and it has Wi-Fi six, but this is not really a, um, a consumer product as much as it is as it is a product for uh, ODMs and OEMs and developers to adopt it as a platform. And I think that we will see uh, more iterations of this as as we move forward. Um, but the the idea is that this is a very um, low uh, barrier to entry product that will enable more companies within the industry to one, either enter the industry or to innovate more quickly. Um, also, DigiLens is very big on um, showing off their optics and comparing themselves to HoloLens, and they, they claim that they have uh, four times less eye glow uh, for person-to-person -person communication in person. Uh, so you can actually see the person's eyes when you speak to them. Um, but overall, I, I'm pretty happy to see what they're doing here, and I hope to see how this kind of shakes out uh, down the road. Uh, DigiLens says that the Design View one will be available at the end of June for select partners, um, but it's very much going to be a uh, development device, uh, which is in contrast to our next topic, which is the PSVR um, 2, which was actually uh, an exclusive for the Upload VR um, publication uh, and what's interesting is they're saying that uh, it will have about 2k by 2k per eye resolution which is a huge improvement um, and it looks like they're going to have new controllers uh, which we already knew they kind of leaked that um, 
and I'm very happy to hear that because I, I think purposing the move controllers was uh, not an ideal move. Um, no pun intended. Uh, additionally, there's still lots of speculation, but that some of the speculation includes eye tracking, um, which I'm pretty excited for. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of eye tracking, and I think that it will help Sony to reduce the load of uh, you know GPU on the console, which the PS5, uh, to render VR games, but also to do some interesting uh, tricks uh, with graphics to improve the experience overall. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. Um, we don't really know much more because it wasn't actually an official announcement from Sony. Um, but I appreciate Upload VR getting this to us, and hopefully uh, most of it's correct because I'm very optimistic. Um, next topic is another consumer-related um, announcement this week, which is uh, a result of the Snap Partner Summit. So the biggest announcement at the Snap Partner Summit was obviously the fourth generation of the company's spectacles classes. Uh, this is the first time that the company has come out with a actual AR headset uh, with dual uh, waveguide optics. Um, the expectation is that these are wave optics. Wave optics is displays. Uh, and what's interesting is, is that um, they are fairly narrow field of view. I believe they're like 23 degrees from my recollection. Um, but what I do really like is that they were very honest and straightforward with what that field of view was. Um, and they and in their demos, they actually showed it as a fairly um, real representation of what the optics will look like when you're using it, which I think is a big deal because uh, a lot of companies have misrepresented AR uh, in the past. Uh, and I wanted to I wanted to give them credit for being honest with uh, what what to expect, which um, hasn't necessarily been true for everybody else. Uh, in addition to that, uh, these glasses are going to only have a 30 minute battery life. They are XR1 powered, not XR2, but they do look very uh, how do I put this avant garde. Uh, but the truth is, is that if you look at their previous generation, the the Spectacles 3, which I do have, those were already pretty aggressively designed. Um, so I think that it's a good fit for who they are as a company. Um, and the reality is these glasses are not going to actually be shipping to consumers anytime soon, if ever. Uh, these are primarily a... Uh, Enterprise, well, not enterprise. They're they're for developers uh, who want to create AR apps for this platform, um, and they do. These glasses are quite bright. They have two two thousand nits of brightness. Um, they've got two RGB cameras, four mics, and two stereo speakers with six off tracking, and only a four, fifteen millisecond motion motion to photon latency, and weigh one hundred thirty four grams. So they are they do hit all the right specs. Um, but I would say that uh, they are going to be probably the first consumer AR glasses um, if they do decide to come to market with these specifically. 
but it's possible that they could have a, a Gen 2 of these uh, until they go consumer, at which point there might be others in the market as well. Um, what's also really cool about these glasses is that they are going to kick off a partnership with Verizon to basically initiate AR and 5G um, acceleration. So what you're gonna see is uh, Snapchat partnering with Verizon to create this ghost incubator who will fund to the tune of $4.5 million uh, some developers to develop AR apps with these glasses. And um, I think that that's, that's going to be necessary for them. Uh, even though, let's be honest, uh, Snap has probably the most uh, applications of uh, AR that I've seen to date uh, in consumer. So it's kind of hard to compete with them at this point. But overall, it, it seems like they're moving in the right direction. Uh, they also did an announcement with Disney um, where you will be actually be able to take pictures uh, in the park and you'll be able to have access to unique and uh, exclusive IPs from Disney at the parks that will integrate that into the photo pass. So I think that was a very interesting AR partnership. Um, but there were so many announcements from the Snap Partner Summit that it would almost be its own podcast alone. You know, they announced a lot of monetization opportunities, partnership with Bumble, um, you know, how they're funding Spotlight, uh, all these different announcements. But ultimately, they are they are moving very fast. They also did announce a um, a version of the Snapchat app where users can actually experience the same AR experience together at the same time. Uh, they call this connected lenses. Uh, and the first partner for that will be Lego Group. So you can kind of like build a Lego together in AR, um, which is once again, another application of AR that a lot of people are showing off, but nobody's really doing, you know, practically or for consumers. So this is yet another example of how Snap is ahead of the rest of the market. Uh, and I expect that they will continue to be uh, because they simply understand it and they have a very big you know, user base. That said, someone like Apple could catch up to them fairly quickly just because of Apple's scale. Um, but let's not forget that Snapchat does have hundreds of millions of users um, and they have a very young and creative audience. So uh, I'm excited to see where this goes from here. Uh, and I really do hope to get my hands on um, these spectacles air glasses. Now, the last topic, and certainly not the least, uh, is that Spatial had a very big update. Um, their last update was in March, uh, and that was Spatial 3.0. And this final update, or this most recent update, not the final update, uh, this most recent update is Spatial 4.0. Uh, and this one adds a lot of new features, including a uh, support for P Steam VR, which means that uh, you can now join Spatial from a PC in addition to all the other platforms they already support, including you know HoloLens, um, Oculus Quest, 
uh, and a bunch of other headsets. Uh, they also added uh, their interactive web client so you can join from the web uh, and you don't have to be in a, in a VR headset or an AR headset. Um, they've also made some audio improvements uh, and improved latency and audio quality for web participants. Um, and they also made this pretty big um, announcement of a gallery environment, which allows people to showcase their artwork in spatial, which uh, is pretty awesome because that means that anybody can really easily um, put up a virtual gallery if of their art, um, especially if it's digital, which leads into their uh, NFT partnerships where they are now going to support cryptocurrency wallet integration uh, as well as customizable picture frames and placards so that you can have NFT um, art on display that you can sell to people. Um, and they're saying that you can frame your art and display metadata such as NFT metadata or artist information so that you can now actually have your own NFT gallery if that's what you're trying to promote. Um, but yeah, it's been a very busy last week's. Um, this kind of wraps up my thoughts on what's been happening. And I hope that you guys um, found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide me with some insight on a specific XR topic for a future podcast, please reach out to me on social media at Onshell Sog. Um, I hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.